from Montreal. Around the world. Jeremy White Podcast. With Bistan. For the best Lebanese cuisine in Montreal, it's got to be Bistan. Visit Bistan.ca. And Loudtracks.com. Helping fans connect to their favorite artists. 100% high quality, officially licensed band merchandise that supports the artists you love. Visit our official band merch store at Loudtracks.com. Now... The Jeremy White Podcast. Hello, there he is. What's up? Hey, what's up? Good to see you again. You uh, you got to meet uh, Jeremy very briefly at the Billy Joel concert in uh, New York in November. Yeah, super oh, okay. fast. That, dude, that wasn't November. That was like two, almost. That was November fifteenth, twenty nineteen. Yeah, it was over a year ago now. It's like weird, you know. <laughs> Time ago, yeah, but that's cool. Nice to see you again. Yeah, he's yeah, he's yeah. our uh, number one on-air personality in Montreal, and so we do these together now. Oh, all right, number Yay. one. Gotta love number one. You're number one, people. Yeah. I'm happy to say that my background color kind of matches your microphone. Uh, yes, the windscreen. The windscreen. <laughs> we, are somewhat, we are somewhat coordinated. Mm-hmm. If you like, I can dial in a little bit of the orange yellow that you got. Sure, going. sure. Why not? Let's let's, have all <laughs> the, let's get all the technical wizardry going on here. But yeah, uh, you know, get, yeah, we'll be all matching. That'd be hilarious. But always a always a great pleasure to talk to you. Uh, you know, we we love what you do. Uh, we, we love all the little gizmos at at Wisdom uh, Music, and we love oh, this thing. So thanks, guys. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So now, this are you recording what you're going to do today? How you what what? Uh, tell me what your plan is. So I know. Plan yeah, is to uh, interview you and make us sound good. That's that's pretty much the Yeah, as as good as we could possibly sound. Okay, yeah. the audio seems pretty good. Do you want me to wear headphones or is it just fine? No, you sound good. Okay, okay. good. All right, so Jeremy, uh, I'll uh, ball in your court. Well, first of all, just you know, talking about this liquid tension experiment coming out. Um, new album LT3 March 26, 2021. I guess it's going to be available wherever music is sold, right? That's hopefully the you know what's going to happen. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> it's a big release, <laughs> a big wide release, right? Right. <laughs> well, you, you never know. I mean, like a lot of people are just sticking to Spotify and Apple Music, you know, yeah, nobody's doing well, absolutely a lot of people doing that. Well, with you know, with Sony Inside Out who's putting out this record. I mean, they're and our audience as well. You know, there's still a lot of people who buy physical, you know, yeah. stuff. So yeah. we're kind of like offering that it'll be out on vinyl. It'll be out on CD. It'll be nice. bonus CDs. It'll be, you know, every possible way that you could buy it in a physical form. This album will Japanese be- bonus tracks and all of that. We well, love it. Yeah. Let, no. let me just ask you, uh, yeah. It's been 22 years, and of course, every interview is going to ask you about this. But why wasn't there time in the last 22 years to put something together? I mean, I know you've done all these other projects, and there's Dream Theater, and there's this and that. But but why was this one sort of put on the back burner for for two decades? Sure, that's well, a good question. I mean, it's not like you know, just from a personal point of view. At first, that I didn't want to do it. I mean, you know, people wanted to do it, um, but it was really a combination of uh a lot of things scheduling weird record company stuff you know uh turbulent band things that happen that we all know about you know put all those things together 
and you got a situation which really made us, you know, have to wait. I mean, think about, you know, the fact that the last Liquid Tension albums years ago are on Magna Carta Records, and that's kind of like, even I even say that, and I start to... I know. <laughs> but but, so, but, but you, that, you mentioned that, band politics, but yet you're in a band with Mike Portnoy and John Petrucci, and Dream Theater has been putting out albums, so how did how did this one get weird? Well, you know, first of all, when when we switched mics, yeah. that was yeah. uh, that, yeah, let's uh, not confuse our mics. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, when we switched, oh right, Portnoy's not there anymore. Yeah. We're at Mangini now. The guy, so yes, yeah. of course. That's like well over ten years now. Yeah, yeah. yes, of course, okay. and I know that. And and uh, so listen, that, I've gotten happened. older too. Oh, me too. So you know, I'm trying to keep <laughs> up as well. But uh, yeah, when that happened, it definitely made a situation that didn't make working together very smooth. So that was one of the major factors that made it wait even longer. So you know, so here we are. You know, we had the uh, inspiration, the uh, the time to do it, and we did. And I and I have a very strong feeling that this you know, will happen again without having to wait 22 more years. Right. But if, if, so let me ask you this, you know, you're making a record with Portnoy and Petrucci, you know, how is the creative process different from this potentially just being another Dream Theater record? Um, well, you know, I haven't worked with Portnoy in what, 11 years. So uh, and when we did the first Liquid Tension album, it wasn't another Dream Theater record either. The thing is, we look at it from this approach like what is what was liquid tension what is liquid tension all about it's coming into another entity so it so right away it kind of means something different and and liquid tension from the beginning was like a melting pot for all the artists to kind of come in and like i got this idea okay i put in this wacky idea whatever it is tony right. levin's got something he puts it in petrucci wants to try something jazzy you know we want to do rhapsody in blue it was like an you know that's why people do side projects so even though it's a lot of the same guys you can expect different things because the musicians you know influences and in their minds are in are not necessarily always in one zone let's yeah, you can kind of go wherever you want to yeah i mean dream theater i always say the dream theater as wide as it is stylistically i mean it obviously has a lot of different things about it it's not like just like pop music in any way shape or form but it still has a bit of a brand to it you know you step yeah. outside the brand it's just not dream theater dream theater can't do rhapsody in blue dream theater can't really get away with doing a lot of the things that's on a liquid tension experiment album and so you that's you know the beauty of it it's just kind of first of all there's no singing on it you know so it's stretched out the leads are longer everybody gets to do these crazy solos and you know we just really get to uh, expand and try different things and that was the beauty of it in the beginning and that was the beauty of it now does hmm. it re-energize you creatively to to have to not you know write for vocal and be able to just do whatever you want and and take it Without any, Mitch, without any brand, yes? Let me just say, here's the real question. How does it feel to be off-brand? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, that, that's our inside joke because poor Jeremy works for a top 40 radio and when he interviews people like this, his program director goes, that was off-brand, Jeremy. You can't be doing that. <laughs> yeah, off-brand can be really fun, right? It's a good Yes. Thing. It's good, yeah. But just yeah. You know, to... to um, respond to the first part of that. I mean, like to write music without vocals 
in that kind of liquid tension thing. It's not like when I write music that, that incorporates vocals, I don't feel like it's necessarily holding me back in, in any way. If anything, that job is kind of like, oh, wow, there's no vocals. So we better make sure that there's like a melody line, or, you know, just be really conscious that there's right. no singing. So you have to kind of like be careful. Um, but there is this, there's this definitely a freedom, especially for me working with the dream theater guys as a keyboard player, because within the brand of dream theater, yeah, keyboards are cool and they're important, but they're not as big as a mountain, like the guitar. I mean, the guitar mm -hmm. is like king. So with liquid tension, you know, there is a definitely a little bit more of like a balance kind of thing. You you know, the keyboards tend to come out a bit more and their prominence just is, is really felt uh, yeah. in a different way. Let me ask you this, because we were just talking to Billy Shearwood about the differences between regular rock and like, you know, progressive rock and the musicianship that goes along with playing this type of music. You know, how does songwriting happen for you guys? Like, do you come in with like a cool, you know, like synth pad or some type of composition and then the guys come on top of that? Like, because the the music is just so interesting and so complex and it always blows my mind how you guys create stuff like this. Yeah, it's it is interesting the way it comes together and uh, usually it starts with some kind of a seed. Somebody's got some eight bar thing, you know, you got to come up with something to get the ball rolling. And that kind of like these days, what happens is we get, we get an idea and then we'll jam on it. We'll hash it out. If we like it, we'll kind of like lay it down, like in a demo form. Mm. Right. And then we're kind of like, okay, well, what do we need next? We'll be like, that's a cool verse. Let's say it's a verse. Then we need, okay, we really need like a, you know, a, a B section or a chorus. No, we don't necessarily write it exactly in order, but we kind of are searching for something that would fit the next move, you know? So, and often what happens, especially with like Petrucci and I, is we feed off of each other. He goes, dun, 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 and I'll go, oh, I can go. Next thing you know, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And then we start getting a lot of ideas and we're shouting to the engineer, lay this down before I forget it, you know, because we might still be working on the first section. But meanwhile, somebody's vibing on what could happen for the next section. Right. So that happens a lot. Other things that could happen are you know, we get kind of inventive where like, you know, uh, again, like Petrucci comes up with something and I'm like, wow, that'd be so cool. If, like I played something that really went against it in my right hand. It's kind of like a, like a counterpoint. And then I'll just like grab some music paper and maybe we'll be other guys to talk in or do whatever the hell they're doing. I'm sitting there figuring out, it out for the next part, which is an interesting skill by itself. Cause very often in that environment, like we find ourselves composing when there's a lot of other noise going on. So right. kind of yeah. the skill of blocking out because we're working on stuff, but meanwhile, you're trying to compose for the next section. So it's a very interesting way to, uh, to write music, but it works for us. It really does. Uh, you know, it, it does the trick. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's helpful. If, like, you know, the guys are, I've left the room and like personally I can sit quietly for a minute and just like hash something out or, you know, change the mood and just and that, that, that helps all, you know, it's a creative process. So all different ways, but really what makes it tick is that we feed off of each other, which is really. I'm going to ask you the, the layman dumb question, but when you do instrumental music, how do you know when the song ends? <laughs> yeah. or, no, that's a really good question. That's it's a good question. It's an excellent question because, you know, the songs, especially like this, could go on and on. 
Yeah, like, like why is the album not just one long 75-minute well, jam? Let me, let me tell you a funny <laughs> story. So I was doing my last solo album, which was called Wired for Madness. And, you know, I finally got the time. I was, in, I was like, okay, I'm going to go in. I'm going to do this. So I'd go to the studio, and I started working on it, and I'd write something. And I put it into – I was using Logic, the sequencer, mm -hmm. uh, the DAW. So I'd do it. Next day I come in, I write some more. Next day, I come in and I write some more. I'm just going. There's no stopping. There's no end of this piece, right? I mean, literally, uh, one section inspired the next section, inspired the next section, took a turn, took a turn, took a turn. I came in one day. I said to my wife, Danielle, I said, you know, I'm writing this piece. It's wild. It's the most progressive thing I've ever written. It's, it's 46 <laughs> minutes long. <laughs> I, literally, without even hearing it, she's, like, what are you? she's literally said, what are you doing? There's an intermission. You can't, you, can't, you can't do that. You have to write some songs. So I kind of felt like, oh, you know, I was kind of mad. Like, what does she know? I'll just keep going. You know? <laughs> this is going to be an hour long piece. Yeah. But then I thought about it. And of course, the voice, her voice of reason. Yeah, I was like, okay, well, I got to I got to bring this piece to a close, you know, and I got to write some songs. But the album ended up being a mixture of one like really long, you know, title track. Mm. It's long and then some songs. So you could go on and on. But luckily, I do work with guys who have a very, very strong sense of architecture. So even besides my own talents, these guys have, you know, probably even more of a sense of, OK, this part, this part will move this part here. And then it creates a song. And it's like so believe it or not, even in like the dream theater, <laughs> liquid tension world, there is consideration of what is this structure really going to be. So there's a beginning and end. We've got hooks, you know, and it might get a little more involved or it does get more involved in a lot of ways. But sometimes we just decide on this is going to be an epic. So just let it go. And that's literally the conversation in the studio. The like, studio. guys, wow, this is really cool. Let's not constrain this. Let's just keep on throwing shit in there. Right. <laughs> really this, is, this is the actual conversation. It's like, honey, honey, come, come and check what we've done. Do you mind just... Yeah. You, got, you got 17 minutes to just check out this demo? Uh, right. <laughs> this little tune I'm writing. Yeah. This little song. Oh, right. God. Jordan, Jordan, let me ask you, do you listen to like any pop music of today? Do I listen to pop music? I listen to all kinds of stuff. I don't like sit down and put on a pop record necessarily. Like, do you ever get in the car and you put on the radio and like it's on your local top 40 station? You hear like a really Lady Gaga know. song or something? You know, I can't say that I do that. I'm more tempted. I'm more, I guess my guilty pleasure is listening to like the mellow rock station. The one that plays like, you know, James Taylor or Cat Stevens, Elton John. It's kind of, maybe it's, you know, getting more mature that I just Yacht rock. settling down into a more mellow vibe, you know. And I tend to like mellow, spacey kind of like stuff, even if it's not like those old, you know, classic things. I'll listen to like Blackfield or, you know, listen to Cigarettes or I'll listen to, uh, you know, just more kind of spacey, gentle things or a porcupine tree or stuff that's not, you know, kind of like some of the some of the prog that I make. I saved that for my own uh, compositions with the guys to get to. Just, uh, just real quick, since yeah. you mentioned porcupine tree. Have you worked with Stephen Wilson or would you like to work with him? Because what he does in terms of mastering and, and, and engineering, just fantastic. Have you done anything with him? Yeah, I played on a couple of his solo albums, actually, okay. you know, and we we did a tour together where I went. Uh, it was when the Blackfield guys couldn't be brought in from Israel, whatever, because of some problems. So they asked me to come with Aviv Geffen and Stephen Wilson. And I did a run with them and I basically filled in all the sound with the keyboards. And so on that tour, when I played as part of the Blackfield setup, 
uh, I also did a couple of songs with Steven, uh, you know, live, which was very nice. You can even find some of the stuff if you YouTube it. If you YouTube it, yeah. He's yeah. such a great talent. Um, yeah, we, we, we definitely, you know, have a lot of similarities in our musical approaches. So it's always nice to do things together. Yeah, absolutely. The, the list of musicians that you played with, you know, like I, I was just watching a video of you and Elijah Wood from Shania Twain's band jamming on YouTube the other day. And I was like, man, like Elijah, just an incredible drummer. And, you know, when she's on tour with Shania, it's completely different than what she would be doing with you. Well, yeah, just I mean, before you answer real quick, yeah. he is the biggest Shania Twain fan. So this is a geek moment for him. Just, oh, just to let you know. Awesome. So, you know, like I was on the, the air. I was traveling to europe or something like that or coming back from Europe. anyway i was on the plane elijah was sitting right across from me and so we were chatting and all of a sudden it was like before we took off she he at that point yeah. got a message saying you got the gig like you like literally at that moment wow she found out that she was now the drummer of shania twain so but before that you know elijah was just playing like progressive you know music and i mean all kinds of stuff but but yeah i never thought you know of a yeah i mean how do you go from playing all that crazy stuff to you know playing well, man i feel like a woman you know it's when you're a, when you're a great musician great drummer. you just yeah. can do it and and yeah she was um, she was fantastic at the frog stuff and you know just did it very well yeah. I mean, that was one of my favorite concerts in 2015. The first tour that she did with her, it was like just right. powerhouse. And to be honest, Mitch yeah. loves it when I bring this up. Mutt Lang's right hand man, Nigel Green, was doing the live sound mix and the drums just sounded monstrous. So, yes, yes. I saw that tour as well. And I got to say that Elijah just killed it. It's a lot of energy. Really great. Yeah. Really all smiles. Do you see yourself working with her again at some point, like doing some little project or maybe? Yeah. Yeah, that could happen. Sure, I don't have any plan for that, but uh, you know, she's so awesome, and we've been actually family friends. I've known Elijah since she was like two years old. Mm. Wow! So, See, that's great. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, do you know who who her parents are? Yeah, I'm very good friends with the parents. Yeah, Mark and Laura. Yeah, Mitch, but Mitch, do you do you know what band they they do? Mark and Laura? No. What? Uh. It's a. I was going to say Trans Siberian Orchestra. Is it Trans Siberian Orchestra? Mark played with Trans Siberian. Yeah. Orchestra. Okay. Oh, okay. Things, but I don't think she ever did anything with. with okay. Yeah. Okay. With uh, Joel Hoekstra and Nathan James and all those. Uh, so, so yeah. of course we're going to have to go back to the obvious question. Haven't played with Mike in blah 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 so many years. Uh, what was it like having him back in? It, it, is there were there any ill feelings that needed to be worked out first? I mean, did you, did you have to have sort of a, a counseling session first? Or it's just like, hey, Mike, come on back. It's been too long. We're too old for this. Let's just yeah. play. Uh, well, I always, you know, for the years, stayed in touch with Mike. We just would of course. have uh, friendly texts and everything like that. And I did join uh, Mike for the Cruise to the Edge tour. We did the Instrumedley, it's called, the progressive thing that we wrote with dream theater. So our relationship was pretty good. And so that was, you know, so falling into the groove with him again for this was really easy. And John Petrucci actually paved the way work-wise because he, uh, he, you know, had Mike come in and play on a solo album. So he, you know, the clouds had parted already and things got back to a nice gentle space. And right. we actually recorded the, like the LTE three album in at the dream theater headquarters uh and it was all fine it was mellow and mike you know 
you get to a certain age where you just have to say, eh, let's just move yeah. on. And, you know, like Mike is such an interesting, talented, unusual person that, you know, he, he, in, in the old days, you know, I, I just feel like sometimes his energy was like, wow, you know, a lot to, lot to, to uh, kind of wrap your head around. But now he's kind of like settled. He's still, you know, like doing a million things and extremely productive and plays drums great. He's also a little bit more kind of like calm and uh, hello, Zen. Easier to work with. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you see, have... the, the, the Sons of Apollo Dream Theater tour could happen. Why not? Do, you, do you have to go to Mike Mangini <laughs> before you work with Portnoy again and say, hey, Mike, listen, you know, this thing's going to be coming out. Don't worry about it. Your gig is fine. Sure. You want to be respectful of everybody. And, you know, there is there is a sensitivity there and that makes sense. So before we did this and with you, know, with James, too, and John, my youngest, so mellow, that, you know, it's not that necessary. But, yeah, everybody gets the respectful. Hey, you know, we're going to be going in. We're going to be doing this just so you know. And, you know, this understand yeah. we're doing it right nobody's like well, what are you, why are you doing that like what the hell we, we reached a point where it's kind of like you know you do what you do and just do your that. thing you don't want to have to be an asshole about it but you know lte lte was destined to get back together again i mean there was more requests for this band than anything i've ever done in my whole life you know every day multiple times a day one's lte <laughs> getting back together like shut up already now let's quickly bring it back to it one last question is is rhapsody in blue of course it's gershwin um what was that like bringing that sort of to modern times i mean here's a thing that's been sitting around for whatever it is 50 60 70 years uh talk to me about bringing that to fans now and, and putting your own stamp on it yeah uh that was awesome i mean we had done rhapsody in blue live the last time liquid tension played gigs many years ago uh but and mike came forward when we were you know finally decided to do this he was like guys we really should do rhapsody in blue in a you know for the record and i was like oh no no because my first thought was that's like a big piece and it's been so many years where's my score for it what sounds did i use like i just saw all all it read to me was like this is gonna be a hell of a lot of work kind of like relearning it redoing it didn't even have the same synthesizer around it it's long gone or it's broken in a closet so you know after i got over that I was kind of like, okay, if we're going to do this, then I got to decide on my approach because the first time I did it was a lot like live kind of sounds, you know, but this time after I settled down about the whole idea of it and realized that, yes, this is a good idea, um, I took a more orchestrational approach and I went in with all my software and all my stuff and I really went to town with it, coloring it with all kinds of sounds of pianos and orchestras and steel drums and sound effects and that. Yeah, so it so it's it turned and I'm really proud of the way it turned out. It's cool, but definitely it, it wasn't like, oh yeah, let's do Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's a big piece. I mean it's a big piece, and I literally yeah. couldn't find the score, like the score that we used for because we changed a lot of things. So. But I mean it's a on the album, it's a I'm just looking at it, it's a 13 and a half minute version. I mean, I mean it's 13 and a half, it's it's 13 yeah. minutes, you know, if, if you go to play something like that live, do you have the sheet music in front of you and you're performing it, or is it all just in your head? Um, it depends, uh, you know, on what it is. Something like that, if we, if and when maybe we do it live. First of all, I got to figure out how the hell to do all that orchestration. How you pull it off? Live. That's the first thing. Which I'll, you know, I've I've done that type of kind of what's the word? Uh, 
a compression of a score to, you know, figure out how to do something that's complicated live. But uh, yeah, I might have some music in front of me telling me because I usually do a lot of complicated splits and layers in the keyboard and put sounds in funny places to get the job done. Maybe the mm. French horn will be like with my thumb and the timpani will be with my pinky and this kind of knows to let me understand how to make that happen. You know, if you're really doing like a workout on the keyboard. Oh, yeah. Like that. No, do, you, do you ever use any kind of tracks to help you out? Um, I generally I don't. But okay. Like, what so, sometimes in musical situations I will like mm -hmm. when we did the astonishing. There was so much or orchestration going on, and a lot of it was real orchestra on the album. So we decided to leave that in. Although I I kind of like uh, extended it even more and added orchestration within my keyboard. But we let some tracks play. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a tour that you know there were definitely tracks. For the most part, I'll just use tracks for like opening sound effects maybe because the lights are right. still out you know when the band's right. gonna kick in i don't need to sit there and be triggering like the beginning of metropolis or something like that that can be on a backing track so yeah, I, just fair. I like to uh you know i like to to make sure that there's as much energy going into the keyboard and in my performance as possible and if i put things on backing track number one one i wouldn't be able to stay in shape uh, at the keyboard, but also I feel like there'd be a lack of real connection and energy, which that's, you know, I want there to be the maximum of that. Right. When you guys do yeah. play the tracks, like in your in-ear, because there was recently a tape leaked of a pretty big rock band of their in-ear monitor mix, and it has the click track and all the cues, like verse, two, three, sing, and all those things. Do you guys have those things running and those those like audio, audio cues like in your in-ears? It's funny, we all have different things in our in-ears. Like my grand genie, I have never even heard it, but I'm sure we would all chuckle if we heard it because there's all kinds of stuff, you know, going on, voices <laughs> and cues and counts and whatever yeah. that else he does that he's told us he has. Uh, with me, I have cues, like I'll have like cowbell kind of cues to, to wake me up in case I took a nap or something that in <laughs> three beats my section's coming in. Or if, or if there's a part even that's that gets, it's very complicated and you can't really rely on the venue to have a really clean sound, I'll, I'll put a click in it so I can be locked, you know? So, I mean, yeah, like little helpers like that. Mostly for me, it's like click things. Mm. Uh, at those moments where it's like, wow, I really want to make sure I keep this part together, you know, and the click. Right. Really it's amazing everything that rock stars go through to deliver a great show. So, you yeah. know, when you see a guy on Twitter go, oh, nah, it's like, hey, motherfucker, look at all everything we've gone through to give you this experience. Like, just enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just I, I hate seeing people moan about bands playing the tracks on Twitter and social and stuff. I'm like, they're doing everything they can to give you the best show possible. Yeah, get your I mind mean, hard. Like, don't be don't be complaining. Totally. I mean, let's face it. Most bands, almost I'd say 95 percent of them use a lot of tracks, you know, unless yes. they're like a hardcore metal band is very raw. But I mean, you know, professional bands are out there and they want it to sound like the album and, you know, and they run tracks. It's just what yeah. it is. You know, I mean, in my but case, listen probably run less tracks than others because hey i'm you know but when you're an arena an arena band and you're you're charging 100 150 300 bucks 600 bucks like the weekend is charging you can't afford it to be to have an off night it has to be good every night because that fan just paid 300 bucks he didn't pay 300 bucks to hear feedback and you know he, he wants to see a show so yeah, yeah. But then there's also that argument that people say, oh, well, if I wanted to hear the album, I just sit at home and put on the CD. 
So, they will stay at home. Yeah. And the, yeah. I think I think there's a balance. I mean, in general, well, I mean, look at if we look at dream theater these days in this period of our career, it's very much about putting on a very dialed in show. We're not doing what we used to do is like, you know, Portnoy would slip something under the door or whatever, saying, oh, tomorrow we're going to play A Matter of Time off the first album. We go, what? And everybody would kind of like learn it and freak out. And then we go and maybe we'd fuck up. Would it be OK? But, you know, it's like fans would dig it. But, you know, a, ba- a different kind of a balance. These days, it's more about we're going to tell the lighting guy, this is the set. These are the possible changes we'll make. So be prepared on this leg. This is going to happen. So we run it like a Broadway show. I mean, you know, our track, our show yeah. is tighter than ever before in dream theater history because yeah. we're running it like that. And we appreciate that. Um, you know, personally, what happens for me is that I will leave some things open. Like we were talking the other night, John Patricia and I were on a um an internet call with all the fans and everything. And one of the questions was about the leads we play. You know, how do we approach the leads? And John was like, I really try to make the, the leads just like the album. I feel like that's how I, what I want to express because I work hard on these leads and I want to play it just like the album. And then it came to me, I was like, you know what? I totally, you know, I understand that completely, but I want, I want to leave open the inspiration from the energy I'm feeling that night. And I, and a lot of times, like like half the leads I play, I'm just gonna wing it. I'm gonna play whatever the hell comes into my head that night. And sometimes yeah. it'll be fantastic. It'll be like, wow, what's that? And other times it'll suck, but at least <laughs> I'm leaving it open to, I wanna do that. And also yeah. whenever there's like comping, you know, in the song and, I'll improvise, uh, you know, it's not- Wanna have like, some fun. That's, that's, that's the fun thing about playing live. I think so. I think so. So there are parts that I definitely can change up and I'll do different voice leading and things and, you know, have fun with it and do stuff. And I like that, you know, and it's still dialed in. I mean, it's, that's kind of in my own way to fill in my part. And it's not like it's in your face, like something's totally different, but it's little subtle things that will make a difference. And that's what I, and I, you know, that's what I like to do. And and it's great. As long as you guys don't ever take out As I Am out of the set, I will continue to go see you every time you play Montreal. All right. I'll remember that next time. <laughs> He's requesting songs from every band. Uh, yeah. Last thing, are you still doing the apps? Are you still doing all the music apps? Yes. I'm very what's the latest one? Music apps. So, um, all right. So here's the app report. The app so report. Yes. My latest app that is available in the app store is called GeoShred. It's been out for a number of years now, but it keeps evolving. GeoShred is this great, it's turned into a platform. And the reason I call it a platform is because it's a MIDI controller. So it runs on iOS technology, iPad, iPhone. It's hmm. a MIDI controller. It can control any synth- external synthesizer or internal instrument in the iPad and use all the cool kind of like pitch bending and all the stuff that GeoShrek can do. It's also a tone module for anything. You could plug an instrument into it and play. It's based on a technology called physical modeling, which is, you can think of it as another way to electronically generate sound. It's very organic. It's done with mathematical models instead of like recordings, like sampling. Hmm. It's a really different kind of thing. So the latest thing for GeoShred is that we released um a a bundle that we call the swam bundle it's basically all new physical models it's i think six new instruments like violin saxophone cello oboe clarinet flute and they sound really beautiful we partnered with a company called audio modeling and we've got this amazingly 
very high level instruments that you can play within GeoShred. So now we're expanding the whole uh, you know, to tonal landscape of GeoShred by offering these instruments. So that's really fun. You compose, you can compose like a piece of music, like a full orchestra piece, and put it into this. And would it perform it if you program like all the MIDI stuff? And well, GeoShred, GeoShred. Think of it like this: it's mostly geared towards like solo kind of instruments. Although you can play chords in some of the sounds, like all the instruments I just told you about, hmm. they're beautiful solo instruments. So if you want to play a violin solo, a cello solo, a sax solo, da, 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 that's hmm. kind of what GeoShred is great for there's one or two uh models that you can play like polyphonically okay but um but the majority of the sounds are more like for kind of soloing nice. so yeah so that's so geo and you program it all yourself no no i'm not a coder i work with okay I'm, I'm i uh have a partnership with the guys at a stanford university at a karma wow uh, um so karma is the division um that focuses on electronic music um and they're the ones who invented fm synthesis and they also invented physical modeling so kind of you know, over the years I'm, i befriended guys at stanford and we decided to work together on this uh, this particular app so the the other small piece of app news is i'm working on uh some new stuff i had two apps mitch you might remember it from the old days i had one called Morphwiz and one mm -hmm. called Appwiz. and now this year we're releasing MorphWiz Pro and SampleWiz Pro. So it's going to be really yeah, That's really great because Jeremy's, Jeremy's the uh, the studio rat. He loves all this stuff. Yeah, and Mitch doesn't know the difference between an oboe and an elbow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're here to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> On a separate kind of conversation. It's a separate conversation. Anyway, uh, Jeremy... Uh, well, dude, this is great, man. Uh, listen, LTE, LTE 3, March 26th. I'm stoked to hear this album. It's going to be great. And you guys are printing vinyl, which is awesome. So Vinyl. You'll enjoy that. There you go. Dust off that record player. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Dust uh, off that mat, people. Exactly. But anyway, as as we say in Montreal, uh, merci beaucoup. Always, always a pleasure. Just uh, It just never gets old. This is great. Yeah. Well, nice to see you. All right. Thanks, guys. The Jeremy White Podcast, Tuesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Available wherever you get your podcasts. The Jeremy White Podcast. With Boostan. For the best Lebanese cuisine in Montreal, it's got to be Boostan. Visit boostan.ca. And loudtracks.com. Helping fans connect to their favorite artists. 100% high quality, officially licensed band merchandise that supports the artists you love visit our official band merch store at loudtracks.com watch the jeremy white podcast exclusively on youtube